church. How are we doing today? I think we're doing pretty great, aren't we? Whether we're at home or here in person, I know this was an awesome day of worship so far already. And we're going to continue to move towards God as we take this time this morning to talk about another spiritual discipline that Randy already introduced to us this morning, worship. So I think, you know, when we say worship, a lot of things come to mind, don't they? You know, we have lots of memories, possibly, of being in the church or hearing, you know, a loved one sing a song to us, maybe, or, or even just, you know, what we love to listen to going down the road is we listen to Christian radio or have a particular Christian artist that we enjoy, you know. But um, I want to challenge us with something. I think that because of the popularity of worship in our Christian culture, it's almost become more of a buzzword than a spiritual discipline. So I want to challenge us to something more. Because I believe God has a more complete picture of what worship can be in our lives today. So today we're going to be talking about worship, not just the expression of what worship is and how we can engage with it in our lives, but also the heart of worship. And we're going to be looking at how we can unlock this gift that God has given us to experience the victory he has for us in our lives today. So first, I want to start off by saying worship itself, the act of worship isn't really the problem for us as people, is it? You know, we're all built to worship. That's how God created us. We're worship machines. Whether we're a bookworm or a biker, we worship something. It might be a first edition Hemingway or it might be a Harley Davidson, but we worship something in our lives. You know, Louis Giglio has an incredible quote that I think puts it perfectly for us this morning. It says, it's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. And at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. It's a powerful thought, isn't it? About how everything in our life adds up. We can't escape it. We can't go ahead and sidestep it. You know, and the problem is that sometimes when we look honestly at our lives, we don't see what we want to see our aspirations in our faith kind of fall short sometimes of the reality of where we're at with the Lord. And in the midst of this world with all its distractions, there's no end to what can take Jesus out of his rightful place on the throne of our lives. There's got to be a greater understanding of what God has in store for us with worship so that we can keep him there on that throne, seated where he should be, being a part of everything that we do. So how do we go ahead and maintain that heart in worship? As believers, we need to live differently. We have to place Christ at the center of our life in worship and allow him to have the greatest impact on what we think, say, and live. Our time, our affections, our money, everything that that Louis was talking about is important for us to go ahead and keep a close track on and to be gauging what's going on. If we're to live out the worship that God is calling us to, We need to learn to say no to the good things in our life and yes to the best thing in our life, and that's Christ. In Matthew 6, 25 through 33, Jesus says something to us, because I I know for for me, when I think about saying no to good things and yes to Christ, there's some anxiety in that. I, I don't know about you, but we kind of fill our lives to the brim. We're experts at this. This isn't something that, you know, even those of us who are good at saying no can go ahead and escape. We find what is important and we try to fill ourselves up with it. But if we aren't careful, we can go ahead and end up leaving God to last. And in Matthew, Jesus is talking to us about this. 
And he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And he goes on to say in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all those things will be added to you. So I know that we have a culture that pressures us to make sure that we're standing in the right place. We look on social media and we see everybody else having it all together and we want to be like them. We want to go ahead and be living in that place where we have it all together. And so often, we just don't. You know, we have mom guilt out there, we have absentee fathers all seeking for something that just ends up winding up with us, leaving us falling short in the end because it's not the way that God intended us to be. He's our creator. He's the one who's made us and knows how we need to work and how our lives need to work. And if we simply trust God's way of ordering our lives, we will see this promise become a reality in our lives, that everything else that we're worried about will be added to it. Maybe it won't be the exact same way that we expected it to come, but God will make good on his word. He always does. When we seek Jesus and his kingdom, and find that our lives begin to, we will find that our lives begin to fall into place, and like we've never experienced it before. You know, it, it boils down to a choice, really, a choice that each of us have. We can choose to believe Satan's first lie in the garden, that God wants to keep those things that are good from you. He wants to go ahead and take away what, what really is important to you, and you should go ahead and be trying to get it for yourself. Or, we can choose to trust the nature of the God we know and love, the one who has sent his only son for us and didn't even hold his life as more important than giving us what he intended in the garden, that relationship, that closeness, that hope, not just now, today, but for all eternity with him. You know, that choice is going to determine what kind of heart we have for God and worship, whether it's hardened or whether it's softened to him and open to what he wants to do. And our worship is only as effective as it connects us with God. And when we live in a way that's distrusting of who God's proven himself to be, it's going to undermine the impact that worship has in our lives and cripple our response to God. So now, we've covered what it means to have a heart that is ready to worship God. But what does it look like to have an expression of worship in our lives? I think... You know, we've all experienced this in many different ways, and I think the reality is there's all sorts of expressions. Whatever we could do, as long as it's looking towards Christ, as long as it's for him, can be worship. But I want to cover just two. Two, because I feel like these are both powerfully needed in our lives. Um, The first expression of worship that I'm going to be talking about today is service, or doing things in the name of God for his glory. You know, maybe it's the least thought of expression in some ways. We like to think about music or singing, but I believe it's the primary expression of worship for the believer, or at least it should be. Our response to God should lead us outward, not inward. When we're worshiping God on a Sunday morning, when we're talking about there's nothing better than you, we should be ready to go ahead and take him and bring him to those people who are lost around us. When we find that coworker who is broken and, and just has something horrible happen in their life, we need to be ready to speak up about Christ. But so often, we find ourselves in a place where unfortunately, we stay silent. Now, before we start beating ourselves up too much about that, I want you to know something. This is not a, a problem that is new to us as a generation. 
Augustine, a church father of ours from around the 400th century uh, in that time, don't let, he said, don't let your life give evidence against your tongue. Sing with your voices, but sing also with your conduct. How often is it that our life falls far short of our worship on Sunday mornings? How often is it that we allow ourselves to sing with our voices only and not sing with the way we live around the people that God's given us? You know, from hundreds of years to thousands of years after Jesus, we all still struggle with living out our faith. But just dream with me for a moment here. Imagine that when we came to worship and we sang these words, our faith was so fixed in our Father and our Savior that when we walked out these doors, we went ahead and told everybody that we knew was struggling about Jesus because he just went ahead and built us up and we want them to be built up as well. That we went to those people who were fatherless and were a father to them in the name of Jesus. That we went to those widows and widowers and we entered into their lives and let them know that they are not alone and they are loved and that their God cares for them. You know, we can be an instrument of light that Jesus uses in this dark world to send back the lies of the enemy that are destroying lives and crippling them with sinful answers to what can only be a God question. He's the answer that we're looking for. You know, this kind of thing happens, though, when we're responding to our Savior out of a transformed and grace-filled heart. This is the natural result and overflow of our worship. So let's be about this. Let's be about living this way, not because we have to as believers, but because we get to. And when we have a heart that is ready to appreciate who God is for us and live in the reality of that through faith, we're going to step out into that reality. And we're going to step out into those broken relationships that we see around us, and we're going to be that light of Christ. But I want to say one real quick thing here first. The first relationships I want you to think about aren't those people necessarily at work or that you meet at, you know, around in the community. I want you to think about your family. Because one thing that I've seen, unfortunately, throughout ministry is that people will, will put everyone else except for their family first. And I know that because I lived that. The first church I was at, I went ahead and was wrapped up in the fact that I felt called by God to this ministry. And I allowed them to be second place. And that's so backwards. You know, we need to put these people that are in our lives first and, and give them a picture of who God is, of how his love is. So they're inspired to love him as well. And just two quick points about that. You know, don't let your family be an excuse to, step, to not step out of, you know, your, your, into your community. Your family is something that is responsible for that, but you can't just say, I'm only called to, to go ahead and, and love my family for God. That's not, that's not true. God calls us past that. But the second thought is, how you love your family will either support or will undermine your ministry outside of the home. So you can't really be effective in ministering outside the home if you haven't first loved your family well, if you haven't first been Christ to your family. And remember, the whole world's watching. And God wants to use our families to be a powerful place 
of impacting the world. But he does want us to impact the world. So we got to be ready to step outside of our homes once we've allowed ourselves to answer God's call there with them. You know, remember, when we serve others, when we serve those people around us, you know, we're expressing our worship, the response of our heart to the reality of God's love in our lives. Jesus is our focus as much as the person we're actually serving. He is our constant inspiration and example in all we do to serve those around us in the church and our community and world. No matter how mundane the act of service, if it's done with a heart that's responding to God's work in us, it is building the image of Christ in us. Our worship needs to lead us to a place where we're living out our faith with the people that God's put in our lives first and foremost before we're talking to them and telling them about Christ. This becomes a living proof for those around us of the reality of God. So we must see that this worship leads you know, to a place of us actually building kingdom fruit outside of ourselves before it's inside of ourselves. But I think that's the heart of God, is to bless us so that we can bless those people around us. We see him always reaching outside of himself. We see that in Jesus particularly. So in the same way that he felt called to this world, we should feel called to the world that God's placed us in. So the second expression I want to talk about differs from service in that I think it's a little bit more personal. It leads to building fruit in ourselves. And that's probably the more popular expression that you were thinking of when we were first talking about worship this morning. And that's praise. You know, it's our first thought, even though it should come secondarily out of a heart of worship and a life lived in service to God. Still, in some ways, it can prove more powerful personally to us than service can prove because it allows us to communicate with God. When we sing songs, when we go ahead and are part of um, this time personally and, and corporately in worship, we're praying to God in a way. We're affirming who he is in our lives and we're reaching out to him and calling out to him and allowing him to, to, to minister to us about his truth. But there are some ways that we can go ahead and trip ourselves up in expressing our worship through praise. And one of them is by worrying about how others are thinking about us. Now, this can be a two-edged sword. Whether you feel like you're really great at singing and worshiping and you enjoy that, you can get to a place where you're feeling prideful. But we need to remember that worship needs to be centered and fixed on the person of Jesus Christ and his glory and allow him to constantly be the focus. When you start feeling Satan put in your thoughts and in your head, man, I'm just enjoying this worship, I'm doing so well, you need to be thinking, no, Lord, you are doing so well. Thank you for blessing me in this moment. And just shut that down immediately. You know, Francis Chan says something. He says, what makes worship amazing is the object of our worship. So for those of us out there who are not great at singing, I'll just say that, you know, who maybe can't carry a tune in a bucket, it's not about how you're worshiping. It's about who you're worshiping. You don't have to worry about not being able to go ahead and feel like if you're doing the right thing or not. Just do what you want to do with the Lord in worship. Now, there are some guidance for us in Scripture that we should absolutely hold on to. But I'm saying within those guidances, let's allow ourselves to express ourselves to God. And remember that it's not about what someone else is thinking. You know, Satan wants to set traps for us in worship. 
that are going to shut down this incredibly powerful gift that God's given us in praising him and allowing us to hear from him. And it's going to keep us from connecting with God. Even if we come here, even if we sing, if we allow ourselves in the back of our head to be worried about, oh man, I just sang that note wrong. Or, oh man, I just sang that harmony part really well. You know, those things are going to pull us out of that moment of worship and take us from focusing on God. You know, a helpful way of thinking about this is to consider intimacy in marriage. And yes, I'm talking about what you think I'm talking about, but bear with me for a moment here, okay? When we're in that intimate place in our relationship with our spouse, we need to be focusing on them and not just what we're there doing. If, we're all, if all we're focusing on is the motions we're going through, no matter how much we appreciate the time, it can end up pulling us apart from that person instead of connecting us with them. We need to make sure we're not simply gratifying ourselves, but are instead building that relationship with that person by focusing on more than simply what is being done, but who you are with. Inside the bounds of marriage, that is how God has built that. Please hear me, church. God wants to do more in our praise than simply make us feel good. God wants to reveal his very nature And he's looking for us to open up about who we are as well. He wants us to be real about our failures and inadequacies and trust his love for us. He wants us to accept and appreciate his care and his desire for us as his children. We were bought with a price. Worship is an intimate and powerful place for God to grow and shape us if we allow him to speak into us and in turn open up those areas that we're so used to hiding from him. All of what we think, do, and praise is an opportunity for us to allow God to work in us, change us, rearrange us into the image of his son, Jesus. We only get to this intimate place in worship through seeing him for who he is. And God already knows us completely and has still chosen us at a grace cost to himself. So why are we holding back from giving him everything and all that we are? It was This love that he had for us that planted that seed of worship in our hearts to begin with. And it's his work in us that's going to bring it to fruition and develop the worship that we have for our Savior and King, Jesus. It's in this surrender that he enables us to live our life for him and praise his name both publicly and privately. It's from this place that these songs that we sing together become more than just words and music. They become a way for God to show his presence and power in our lives. You know, Jesus experienced this reality, reality of worship excuse me, when he started his ministry by giving us a model for what God wants to do in us through worship. It was when he went to John the Baptist and allowed himself to go ahead and submit to what God had for him in his ministry through the act of baptism. And in this moment, Jesus gives us one of the most powerful manifestations of worship in the Bible. And let's look about what that was in Mark 1, 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with you I am well pleased." The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. You know, there's a lot in this passage. 
This is the first place that I believe we see a manifestation of the Trinity actually in Scripture too. But we're going to glance over a lot of these things and go to what I believe the heart is for us here with worship today. Jesus was responding to the leading of the Spirit when he came to John to be baptized. It's in this surrender to his identity that God responds and the Spirit descends upon him and he says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, worship is supposed to affirm and empower us, not in our own abilities, but in God's power in us, in his spirit at work and moving. And did you see what happened after that moment of worship, that incredible time, that mountaintop worship experience that Jesus had in the Jordan River? The spirit drove him out into the wilderness. I don't know about you, but that's the last place I want to go after a moment of worship with the Lord is the wilderness where there's suffering, where there's trials and temptation. But that's what Jesus went into, not because he chose to, but because the Spirit drove him there. See, the reality is we were saved in the wilderness as believers. We were lost there ourselves. God didn't intend life to be that way, but we've been suffering in that wilderness since Adam and Eve. He wanted for us to live in a garden where we met him face to face and had everything we need. But because of our disobedience and distrust, we are stuck in that wilderness without God. But when he comes, he saves us and restores us and brings us to a place where we can enjoy him in these moments of worship. Whether they're service, whether they're reading our Bible, whether they're prayer, whether it's praise, that is what worship is doing. It's bringing back a glimpse of that relationship that we had with God in the garden where we can see him and hear from him and allow him to speak into us and make us into that more perfect person that God has called us to be. You know, God also sends us to the wilderness because he has a heart for those people who are still in the wilderness. You know, the power and affirmation that Jesus had when he went into the wilderness was necessary. He needed that to be able to survive those trials and temptations. And we need that too. We need to be in worship if we're going to be victorious in the wilderness. It's that connection to God that sustains us in the battle that awaits us in the wilderness amidst temptation and trials. It's by knowing our identity and trusting the character of God which was revealed in Scripture and proven in the worship that we have with him that we become victorious in the wilderness. This kind of understanding and trusting relationship isn't something that just appears in our life magically because we come here on Sunday mornings. It's something that we have to build and press into and, and, and grow like any relationship in our life. But God's ready and waiting and wants us to grow that relationship with him. And he's looking for us to be ready to step into that with him. You know, I told you um, about this, you know, uh, this connection between the worship and the wilderness. But I'd never seen this actually before. And there's no excuse for me to not see this. I think I just stopped reading after that. This is my son whom I'm well pleased for far too long. But I went to a conference last year in 2020 in February and I heard a guy named Robert Madu speak. And he, he spoke about that and I was edified by it and I thought that was incredible, but I had no idea just how prophetic it was gonna be for our year. You know, last year, unimaginable as it was, I truly cannot imagine walking through it without Jesus. That year that lay ahead of us in the beginning of 2020 was almost more war than wilderness. So the moments of worship that I had with God were vitally important to me in my spiritual life. 
the best way I can try to describe the encouragement and transformation that God worked in me through worship during this past year is what I imagine a soldier at war would feel when they receive a letter from a loved one. That connection, that ability to hear from them and be encouraged and sustained. You know, I don't have any experience with warfare. I've never seen the horrors that are there. I've never experienced the just awful nature that can be come in that. But I have seen life be devastating in other ways. The loss of a loved one who's gone too early. The grip of disease and, and disability on our lives. The loneliness that people face when they feel without purpose. And the ceaseless marching on of time. It stops for no one. And we feel it at our doorstep. True worship draws us close to Jesus. And he brings us peace, no matter what the wilderness throws at us. In him we find the peace that we need to sustain ourselves through the suffering of the wilderness. And in him we are strengthened for the fight so that we can have victory. Not just survive, but have victory in the wilderness as well. You know, one day this life will end. All the struggle, all the grief, all the temptations and trials. And when this happens, and make no mistake, it will happen for all of us. We'll either be separated from God for all eternity, or we'll be reunited with him for all eternity. Those who have given their lives to God and lived for him and built that relationship and trusted on him for our salvation alone, are going to experience that life forever with Jesus. And those who haven't are going to be experiencing greater suffering and greater hardship as they're separated for God, from God for all eternity. You know, let's take advantage of the time that we have right now to worship God, to turn towards him. If you've never made that decision, you can make that decision today. Let's make sure that this message of hope and peace that we have doesn't just stay with us as believers, but from our worship flows out of us to a world that is in desperate need of it. Let's take advantage of this worship and build that relationship with God so that when we see him face to face one day, we don't greet him for the first time, but we meet him as an old friend who we are now returning to, ready to go ahead and pick up the pieces that were, uh, of where we are now and, and start on into that relationship with him. You know, if, if you haven't made that decision for Christ, you won't be sorry to turn to him, to turn over your life to him. Everything that you feel like you care about, God cares about too in your life. He wants you to go ahead and succeed in the difficulties that we face here in this world. And he wants to give you the hope that you so desperately are searching for. It's found in him. It's found in ordering our life around him. Because of his work on the cross for us, we can have eternal life now and forever. So don't let another day go by. 